Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Well, to kick this one off, Billy and I actually ventured... Okay, it's more me. Billy would venture out of the house all the time. I never leave home. But Billy and I actually ventured out of the house and went to our first reptile expo. And my Lord, we think the last one we might have went to was 98. It's been that long, and that's back... When I was more into snakes, we would go to the reptile expos. It was ones in Massachusetts that would go to all the time. It was just, for me, even, well, you always bought something, but just walking around and seeing what was available was so much fun. And I got tipped off that there was going to be one in the neighboring state of Rhode Island, West Warwick, Rhode Island. It was the one run by Show Me Snakes, which I believe does them up and down the coast. They have a bunch of different ones out. They've been doing it for a while. Well, they brought it up here, which is fantastic because. I have to admit, I hate driving. I absolutely loathe driving. So anything within like 45 minutes, that's great. We start getting to an hour, I get antsy. Hour and a half, I'm freaking out. I just, I have a hard time sitting still driving. I'm always uncomfortable. So I tend to not go many places, even if they're technically in driving distance. But they, the Show Me Snakes did the Show Me, I believe the name of it, Show Me Reptiles. Again, it was in West Warwick. It's actually going, this will probably post this evening, so it'll be too late to attend. But I believe they're having another one in July, and we will definitely be going to that because we had a blast. Now, we went because I was tipped off by Caleb Hill, who had contacted me before. Caleb runs Wicked Webs. He sells tarantulas out of there. I also believe he works out of Jabberwop Reptiles which is a pet store in Massachusetts, which again should be in driving distance. I believe it's like an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes away from me that we have been planning on hitting for, oh dear Lord, three, four years. And every time I we plan a little, you know, because obviously Billy and I have the kids and stuff. We have the dogs, so we have to make sure that, you know, everybody's taken care of. But quite honestly, the kids are all to take care of themselves now, so it's no excuse. But I don't know. There's been a couple times we were going to go up and something got in the way. And then finally, it's like, we need to go up there. We're planning on a little field trip and Corona hit. And so that was the end of that. So I've been meaning to go up there for a while, but it was nice because Caleb let me know the show was going on, which I had no idea about. We wanted to go and it was great. We, you know, we walked around just checking out the amount of animals are out there. I've been out of the snake business for quite some, not the business, but I had a lot of 1.40 different snakes and going and seeing the different types of snakes they had, seeing the old Pac-Man frogs again, geckos. I believe people had hedgehogs. It's the, the people walking around are almost as fascinating as some of the animals. Just an awesome, awesome event. And while we were there walking around, I saw Kelly Ferenz from KF Inverts. I've ordered from him in the past. He's a Connecticut dealer. He's one I've shouted out before because, again, folks in Connecticut, if you're looking to get a hold of some of those species that can't cross state lines, Kelly's going to be somebody you want to make friends with right off the bat. But it was awesome running into him because all this Tom's Big Spider stuff, it, it occurred to me yesterday when we were walking around, it's all online. It's very impersonal. I mean, I, I have good relationships with people. I've, I've made legitimate friends in this hobby, like people I consider friends that we talk about more than just spiders now, but it's all this long distance thing. We never, you know, I'm on, you either listen to me on the podcast, I'm on obviously my YouTube channel, but there's never any, you know, personal contact, you know, actually in-person contact. So it was weird because I'm walking around, I'm thinking, Kelly, I've interacted with many, many times over the years, but to see him, it was kind of cool for me. Like, oh my God, it's Kelly Friends. And Kelly's like, oh my God, it's Tom Moran. So it's cool. There's a, but we got a picture taken where I realized that my head looks absolutely gigantic. Morans are blessed with giant freaking noggins. But anyway, I had some folks email me after the fact, like, why didn't you tell us you were going? Why didn't you let us know? I didn't want it to be a thing. I just kind of wanted to walk around with Billy. For us, it kind of brought back a lot of nostalgia because when we first moved out together and got our first apartment, as I told the story many, many times, I was not allowed to have snakes or spiders or any type of creepy crawly in my house when I lived with my parents. 
we moved out. First thing we did, started buying snakes, creepy crawlies, you know, the tarantulas, the snakes, we had scorpions, you know, all that stuff. And we used to go to these reptile shows. And it was like you knew one was coming. We used to get Reptiles Magazine. It would tell you when all the shows were coming. We'd be like, oh, there's going to be one in Massachusetts. We'd plan for it. I'd try to save money. And we were dirt poor. So it wasn't really easy at the time. And then we'd go walk around. And it was so cool to be doing that again, just walking around with Billy, checking everything out and her kind of being my therapy person because I'm not good with, I don't like crowds per se. I, I deal with crowds, but I just kind of wander through and just don't want to engage anybody. And so she's always been there when we do that. So it was really kind of cool on that level. And it was really cool to kind of see how things have changed. Because back in the day, when you go to the reptile expos, I don't recall there being tarantula specific tables. They would always be the snakes, the reptiles, and then some little creepy crawlies on the side. They might have a couple tarantula species. They might have a couple scorpions. But it was cool to see arachnid-specific tables. You know, I hung out, and this was the fun part for me. I've been giving tarantula advice for so many years. To sit there and watch other people do it in person, I don't know. It was just this weird thing. It was fun to watch because we kind of hung back at Kelly's table a couple times when he was talking to customers. And I just love hearing people talk spiders. And I love hearing people come up. And you have, you know, the customers that come up to the table that are just like, ew. We had one, we were standing at one point at Kelly's table. And this little boy came up and he was like eye level with that. And he's like, Mom, what's that? And she's like, Oh, those are spiders. And he screamed so loud. Like you could hear it. They resounded through the entire auditorium it was amazing and but it was just that guttural reaction and then all of a sudden he's kind of looking at them and he's like oh what do we got in here there's a little spider in here oh here's a little spider so to watch people come up people that aren't into spiders that aren't like the people that are probably listening i'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast right now you have some at least a passing interest in spiders to watch these folks come up and go from the, those stages of this is repulsive i just want to oh my god it's a giant spider oh it's so creepy and then start asking legitimate questions about him was so cool and watching you know first we were at kelly's table and we're watching him talk to people and he's explaining the different species and the beginners and the old worlds and the new world i also at that moment had a little epiphany wherein i realized how much information there is to take in like I'm one of these people, I get nervous in a crowd or I'm like, when there's a lot going on around me, it's hard to focus sometimes. So if somebody's talking to me, this, the information is kind of going in, but it might not be sticking. And so to listen to these folks, you know, talk about the different spiders. And for me, it's old hat. I've heard it a million times. I've said it a million times, but to watch the looks on the people's faces when they're being explained, they're, it's, oh yes, they all have venom. And they kind of look at you like, what? Wait a minute. I thought some of these things don't bite, but it's only like a bee sting. No, some of them are like a bee sting, but say this one over here would give you a really nasty bite. It was really cool to watch. I also went over afterwards and spent a lot of time at Caleb's table. And I was kind of doing some shopping, looking around there and hearing Caleb talk to like he was having one interaction with a gentleman who was very, very interested. He had his young son there. The son was kind of looking at him and he was interested in getting into tarantulas and listening to Caleb go through and just very confidently and succinctly explain the information this guy was going to need to know. Like, where, how long can I keep them in this little enclosure? Well, the guy was one of the species he was looking at was a G. porteri, which as most people know, can be some of the slowest growing tarantulas there are in the market. The other one he was looking at, I believe, was G. Polkra, and he was explaining the difference between the two. This one's black. This one will live, you know, how long will they live? They can live males 12, 15 years, females 30 years plus. What do they eat? It was so much fun for me to just kick back and watch it and then watch this guy's face and then realize why there's a market for what I do out there because I can bet you that guy went home. He probably took in about a tenth of what was said to him, not because he wasn't paying attention, but because it was so much information to take in. You know, what do I feed him at this side? Well, you can get some mealworms. You can refrigerate them. It was all awesome information and just really fun to watch. So 
that was a really cool thing for me to watch, and I enjoyed being at both tables and listening to them speak to people about tarantulas, watching them hook people in. It wasn't even a salesman thing. I think when you're talking tarantulas, you're so excited to share the information with them that you just enjoy doing it. Like somebody came up to Caleb's table and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm, not, I'm just looking. Well, he wasn't really trying to sell anything on them. He was just talking about the spider they were looking at in case they wanted information on. But it was so much fun to watch. So we did end up grabbing a few things from Caleb. One of the things I, I wanted to buy, I like buying stuff. And the problem is I'm at a point now where I've got so many tarantulas, so many that I've got to make sure I have space for when they grow up. There's very few species that are really on my wish list right now. So I'm very picky. I don't want to say picky, but there's I've got a lot. I've got a lot of species over here. However, we're sitting there and I'm looking at him. He goes, yeah, I know you're into true spiders. Uh, that you've been talking about on the podcast. So he listens to the podcast, which was cool. He's like, I've got a bunch of trues and megalomorphs over here if you want to check them out. And oh my gosh, what a selection. And that's one thing that was really impressive was the selection they had there. He had a lot of, you know, he had these standard ones at amazing prices. There were M. Balfouri communals. There were T. Apophysis, I believe, were, I want to say they were 35 bucks each. He had just gotten a sack of them, and they were like ridiculously low prices. Just great prices, huge selection. Thorough, walked away, like Billy and I walked away. I'm like, holy crud, that was amazing. Like, really good selection. And I don't get to shop in person very often. So it was so much fun for me to actually pick up the vials and look at the spiders and see them before I buy. Because we don't, obviously, not allowed to sell them in Connecticut and public places and pet stores or expos. So that was the first time in a long time. I had actually been able to go spider shopping and be able to see the spiders before I purchased them. So we ended up getting quite a few. I got a Cameroon crab spider, Barry Lestis, Scutatus. I actually ordered one of these from, I tried to order one of these from Tom Patterson and it didn't work out, which stunk because I really want it, but it was a young adult anyway, so I wouldn't have had it that long. This one's a baby, so I'll be able to grow it up, which was fantastic. Heteropoda, David Bowie. I actually just picked up, I got to post this video. I picked up a bunch of stuff from Tom Patterson and I picked up one from him, but I want to double my chances of getting a female this time around. Cyclocosmia, Truncata. I had two of these years ago, the young adults or adults. And I was happy to see that they had those, those are the ravine trapdoor spiders. They're the ones that have that uh, very ornate pattern. They have like a their abdomen is like cut off. It almost looks like you took an abdomen and snipped it in half. And then there's this ornate pattern on it, which is just amazing. I also have Adipoides species or a turret spider, which are mygalomorphs, which I'm dying to check these. Apparently, little little dudes that build little turrets up live quite a long time, which is awesome. And then. Calisolga species or the false tarantula. I've been looking for these for quite some time. A while ago, like two years ago, somebody uh, emailed me and said somebody had them in stock and I rushed over to get them and I just missed out on them. And so really excited to got well-started juvenile. These guys are amazing, get quite big and they literally look like tarantulas. I mean, it's hard to look at this and see true spider. So a lot of cool stuff there. And he hooked me up with a female, a geniculata, which sorely missing in my collection and will allow me to finally do a proper husbandry husbandry video on one of the most popular species in the hobby. I had one now full disclosure reason why I feel confident doing the husbandry information on these guys is because I actually had what was originally sold as the Canthoscuria brocklehursti years ago. Raised it from a sling to a mature male. Had it for many, many years. Well, the brocklehursti hobby form is not the true brocklehursti. It's just a different version of the geniculata. But unfortunately, that was before I was doing videos. Didn't have a lot of footage of him. So to do a good video, you have to have a spider to kind of focus on. So now that we have this one, I'll be able to hopefully do a rehouse and talk a little bit about their care. So really excited to meet Caleb. He was awesome. And I, while I was sitting up there, a gentleman walked up to me, 
said that he, you know, recognized, apparently recognized my voice, was listening to the podcast, was a fan of the podcast, which I thought was cool. I, I get, like, I don't know what to say to people because I'm very, like, low-key with that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, just a dude talking about spiders. But he was ridiculously nice. We had a nice conversation about some of the ones he kept. He has an H. Gigas communal that he had just set up, and we were talking about that. But unfortunately, I believe we were both nervous, and he walked away, and I never got his name. So if you'd like to drop me an email, let me know your name. I would love to shout you out. It was a wonderful conversation. It was great chatting with you, and I feel terrible. Also, he wanted to get a picture at one point, and I think we just both walked away, and he never got the picture, so I felt bad about that. But awesome, awesome time. I will definitely do this again in July. Maybe I'll actually tell people if I'm going to be there. I, I think I started to talk about this and I had one of my Tom moments where I tangented off, but I had a couple people email me already. Why didn't you tell everybody you were going to be there? I just wanted to go low-key. I mean, again, this was something Billy and I had done years ago. It was kind of fun just walking around and I didn't necessarily want it to turn into a big deal. And so maybe next time I'll let people know that I'm there because I really did enjoy talking to some people about the hobby and about tarantulas. It was, it was a really good time overall. So obviously this one, by the time this podcast goes up, the show will have concluded, but they're going to be back. Well, they're all over the place. So I would definitely encourage you to check them out no matter where they are. But for folks in this area, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, definitely worth checking out. They'll be back in July and hopefully I'll see some folks there. So on to the main topic of this podcast, which actually it was inspired by last episode. I kind of had a feeling this was going to happen. It's kind of ironic how it turned out because as I mentioned, the big thing that made me think about what are some of the hot button topics that kind of blow up the message boards or the Facebook groups. And the one that kind of triggered it was folks talking about semi-arboreal not being a thing. And that was kind of, I was originally going to do a whole podcast about quote unquote semi-arboreal. Is it a made up term? Yes, it is. But it's a way to indicate to people that you may need a little more height. And I unfortunately just didn't think there was enough data there. to There wasn't enough to talk about. It would have been a quick 10-minute discussion. All right, this is semi-arboreal. Here are some enclosures you could use. However, I got an email shortly afterwards by someone who had listened to the podcast. And I'm not going to include their name because I did respond back. I was hoping to get a little dialogue back and forth because she brought up some awesome points and some things I wanted to discuss, but I did not hear back from her. So I don't know if it ended up in bulk, but I don't want to throw her name out there without her permission. So this isn't, I'm trying to hide something bad. It was a good conversation. I think that she was very articulate and respectful and brought up some good points and something I need to clarify. So anyway, the, the title of the email was most recent podcast and some clarification in nuance. Hi, Tom. I hope you're well. I'm a listener, watcher, reader of yours for a while now, and I truly appreciate all you do for the hobby. As an admin of, I'll just say, a tarantula group on Facebook currently, I thought the most recent podcast really hit the nail on the head, so to speak, about controversial topics in tarantula groups and forums. Your last point, which I obviously understand this is a controversial topic and thusly was discussed, I would like to discuss with you further and perhaps bring more nuance to the subject. C. Kyanio pubicens being semi-arboreal. While I have watched your husbandry videos on the GBB and realized that you are not keeping them in tall enclosures, but as someone that sees numerous people quoting yours and Richard's, that would be Tarantula Collective, obviously, videos for husbandry information, I must say that semi-arboreal leads to some very interesting interpretations. People that have them in a 12 by 8 exoterra enclosure with twigs, two inches of substrate, and an overall hazardous enclosure for them. I keep most of mine like my other terrestrial species, but I normally make a pretty decent crevice or pre-made burrow beyond a starter burrow that you might give a brachypelma 
or a Phonopelma. Because they are such heavy-bodied spiders with very narrow scopula on the legs, one and two, not like the scopula you would find on a boreal genera, it's fairly clear that they do not have the anatomy for climbing. I understand that you stated keeping them in captivity and how they are found in nature are completely different, and I actually agree with this statement completely. There's really not a lot that's natural about keeping a tarantula in captivity, but, big but, I do think it can come down to an issue of safety and whether or not you want the entire enclosure to be the burrow or if they have access to a burrow-like structure in their enclosure. Rick C. West states they are opportunistic burrowers, very different from obligate burrowers, meaning that they make do with burrows provided for them by nature or in their enclosure. I have witnessed this in my own collection, and while I understand anecdotal evidence is not necessarily indicative of greater trend, I would like to think that my tarantula was less defensive because of this setup, save for when I was trying to get him into a cup to ship him out as a mature male. I still have nightmares about those hairs, and I can hear that. I have included some documents, a short clip from Rick C. West's documentary, all cited below. I hope we can continue this conversation. Well, I did respond back, and I was hoping for a little bit of dialogue so I can go over the whole thing. But great points here. I, I think and what I love about this is sometimes you get stuff that it's like, hey, what are you talking about, dude? And they just kind of go off on you. Very articulately written. And again, I have seen the Rick West clips. I saw those years ago. I've also spoken to people that have gone there and taken pictures of them. So I do have some information about them. I didn't come, you know, say this lightly. And I'd like to point out that the whole semi-aboreal setup type thing came after speaking to many, many, many keepers. Like I originally kept them all terrestrial. I gave them little burrows like you would, you know, any normal tarantula, some things to hide behind. And some would take to, especially when they were smaller, they would take to the burrows and they would web out like she is describing here and agreed 100%. They would basically, if you gave them a little cork bark, a little hide, and sometimes a couple of different pieces of cork bark, so they had something to choose from, some anchor points, they would use that original burrow and start webbing out like this big, I don't know, for lack of a better term, cone of webbing that would come out and they'd be in that burrow. And when they would go into pre-molt, or molt, they would go into the burrows to molt. Awesome. And I have one today, and this is where some of the information, I think, kind of branches out. We have some divergent views into how to keep them. And this is why in the video, I did go back and rewatch the video because I'm like, I, I hope I gave people examples of how to keep them. Unfortunately, in the first one I did, I did not show any semi-aboreal enclosure setup. So I can see how people would go back and look at that and go, wait a minute, is he talking about, full, like, should I give him like three feet of height or whatever? Very valid points here. So let's go a couple things we want to tackle here. First off, the fact the anatomy, absolutely correct. The anatomy, although I would argue they're not, the, the funny thing is the, the big-bodied spiders. I, when I think of big-bodied spiders, I don't think of GBB. GBBs are one of the ones people generally have a difficult time recognizing when they're in pre-molt because they don't necessarily get as fat as other terrestrials. People that are used to keeping Brachypelma, Phonopelma, Gramostola species, they get very, very plump in the abdomen. Got a, got a G. pulcher over here that looks like it's a tick. And I think with the GBBs, like I had one that just molted, she would have looked like, I don't want to say a freshly molted Brachypelma, but a Brachypelma that had molted like a couple months before it eaten a couple meals. It put on a decent amount of size, looking good shape, but was by no means fat. Now, obviously, they are not built like arboreals. They do not. She brings up awesome points. And again, this isn't, 
the funny thing about reading this was it wasn't so much I disagreed with it. I actually read it twice because I'm like, all right, we're definitely on the same page here. But then I realized she's looking for clarity and nuance. And that's really important when talking about semi-aboreal because I too have had people go, hey, I've set my GBB up. I have a nice little juvenile and I set it up semi-aboreally just like you told me. And then like she described, you get the picture of the 8 by 8 by 12 inch Exoterra Nano with a couple sticks, the things all the way up in the top corner. It's a full boreal setup with no appropriate dens or hides or any place for it to be given an opportunity to choose which way it's going to go and potentially a dangerous enclosure. So 100% agree. I, I think I don't think there's anything I don't agree with on this. Okay, there's one thing that I would definitely I'll offer a counter argument to, but for the most part, she's spot on. And I do want to give the disclaimer before I break this down and go into the GBB husbandry a bit and why we keep them semi-aborally. The one thing I do want to point out is I put out, I try to be as specific in my information as possible. It's one of the reasons I like videos so much. Like I don't like necessarily making the videos and being on camera and talking on camera, but I like the fact that they allow me to show instead of just telling. When you're writing an article and when you're talking in a podcast, there's no way to reinforce what you're saying with visuals. A lot of stuff I know when I go back and listen to these, I'm like, nobody's going to know what I'm talking about here. Wherein if I'm doing a video, I can show people this is exactly what I'm putting them in. This is how I'm setting it up. So with that in mind, I pride myself on putting notes on these, showing people, not only just showing them, but having the, one of the reasons I put the notes and the little comments on the side is to have a visual so that people can sit there and go, all right, this is the size enclosure he's using. And I, I will tell you, I get approached by a lot of folks that will watch a video that I have spelled everything out in that I can possibly think of. This is a sling enclosure, juveniles, different ones you can use. This is how you set it up. This is what I do. And they'll contact me and go, hey, Tom, I just got a, I don't know, we'll go Therophosa Sturmy. And I set it up exactly like you described in your video. Can you take a look at my setup? And then I'll get pictures. And it's absolutely nothing like I described. This happens all the time, you name a species, I will get somebody that said they have listened to all the podcasts, watched all the videos, read my articles, they copied my husbandry down to the most minute detail, and then I get a picture in or some video in, and it's nothing that I've ever said before. It's, it looks nothing like my setup. Now, to be clear, not saying my setups are the be-all, be end-all, but when somebody approaches and says that, and then it's the wrong setup. So, for example, recently somebody said they looked on how to set up a T-Blondie. And what I got was a picture of the Exoterra 12 by 12 by 12s. There was about two inches of substrate in it and a little, maybe two and a half inch juvenile with no height. And it's like, I had to go back and go, I don't know which video of mine or which podcast of mine or article of mine you use to set that up. That is not how I would set one of those up. And so we went back and forth. So I do want to basically throw out there that people... There are people out there that just aren't particularly good at following the directions. I mean, that's, I don't know any other way to put it. I've literally had people that have read something's arboreal and sent me a picture of a avicularia, 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 and a obviously a terrestrial enclosure. I've had people set up terrestrials and arboreal enclosures. So the semi arboreal part, yes, there is, are people going to get confused? I get it. I get why, then that's what we're going to get into here. I get why people would be somewhat confused by it and might read a little more into the arboreal aspect. But I do want to say that there, unfortunately, this is one of the big frustrations of doing this for so many years, and Billy has to listen to me, is how many times you put something out there that you think covers absolutely everything, and somebody 
watches it and then doesn't emulate it or doesn't seem to get what you're trying to do. That's going to happen. So I want to just kind of give myself a little disclaimer there that that's going to happen regardless. However, with the semi-aboreal thing, I went back and watched the video and it she's right because I went back and I'm like, in my mind, I had explained this because I know I've explained semi-aboreal to many people before and I've used it in other videos where I've talked about. It's not really an aboreal setup. You are just giving them more space up top. So for example, I, I thought the one I used, I, I must have mentioned both of them, obviously, because I got this response, but I often talk about the P. murinus. Obviously, it's a, tr- a lot of folks will talk about they are fossorial species, they are opportunistic burrowers, they will find a hide and adapt it and web around it, but we've also seen some indication that they will come off the ground a little bit and it seems to make them a little bit calmer. So folks will talk about, for example, and my big thing is for my semi-aboreal uh, enclosures, I thought I said this in the last podcast, but maybe I didn't. Usually I look at one of those, again, those 12 by 12 by 12 Exoterra mini cubes. I like the size of those because you can angle up some substrate and make sure there's no chance of fall damage if the tarantula should climb a little bit. And I think I said, and I could be wrong because I did not do this on the GBB video. And I understand, like I went back and watched it and I'm like, okay, I guess she's got a very valid point there. Usually what I like to do with a quote unquote semi-arboreal setup is I also give them a terrestrial setup. So what will happen is I will put in a terrestrial piece of, you know, piece of cork bark on the ground. I will put a little starter burrow beneath it, put some stuff around that, maybe fake plants, whatever. And then I will also take another piece of cork bark and not as big as one I would use for an arboreal. And that's something I haven't been specific about. And that's something that we do require more nuance. I take a shorter piece of cork bark and lead it up in an angle. And what that does is it gives the tarantula, if it wants to do a little climbing, it can go out and sit on that piece of cork bark. And I've seen that from my GBB. I've seen it from my P. murinus, but it also gives them another space behind it that they can actually adopt as a burrow. So essentially they are given two spots to create terrestrial burrows. So in her email, she mentioned the fact that when she set hers up, she tried to give them spaces to be terrestrial and some nooks and crannies that they could actually use and use that opportunistic burrowing to create their their home in. And I 100% agree with that. And I think there's where one of the spots I go wrong sometimes is I probably don't mention that I do that, that I give them the alternative. They have two alternatives to be terrestrial. So to show how that works, again, not the show, we're going to tell about this is where a video would be nice, but with my P. murinus, she immediately, when I put her in that enclosure, went behind the cork, not under the one that was meant to be a terrestrial one, but behind the piece of cork bark that was kind of leaned up at an angle. And we're only talking, I've got probably, it's it's 12 inches tall. I've got anywhere from four to five inches of substrate. I usually angle it up the back. So there's not a lot of room for fall damage. And I have that piece of cork bark that's probably about you turn around, look at maybe six inches long total. So not a particularly long piece of cork bark at an angle at the back of the enclosure. And then I go ahead and fill it with some moss, some dry sphagnum moss. So they have something to kind of give them some cover. So what happened is when I put the spider in, she went back there. She dug herself a little burrow behind that. So it was again, kind of more of a terrestrial burrow and then started webbing up from there, started webbing up. I believe I put, I hit a bunch of dried sticks and stuff in there for a spot and she webbed up all around there. And then every once in a while now she will be behind the cork bark, but when I come out in the morning, she'll be sitting on top of that cork bar kind of just chilling out. So not that far off the ground, not what I would consider an arboreal setup, but I can see how folks here, even when they hear semi-arboreal, 
What does that mean? I mean, it's a made-up term. Let's call it as it is. I can see why some people, when some people argue, hey, it's made up, it's not in nature, we don't have that. It's a way to indicate that you're going to want it, I mean, at least the way I use it, and apparently I'm going to have to define this better now. It's a way to indicate that you're going to want more space above the substrate. You're going to want to give them kind of an opportunity to branch out of their burrow to be above the ground a little bit. Again, uh, the other species, I was trying to think of the other species that I have set up like this because I've heard from folks that are in the Philippines that have seen these guys. Orphanacus species blue panay or panay blue. A lot of, again, if you look at the build of this, it looks like your typical sleek uh, Asian burrower. However, there was many folks that said they can find them sometimes slightly above the ground and cracks of rocks and brush and they build up the webs. They will also burrow. So when I set mine up, I gave it an alternative. I gave it a piece of cork bark on the ground with a starter burrow underneath it. Did the other one, one leaned against the back. Again, only a five or six inch piece of cork bark. So literally between, I'm glancing back now, between the top of the substrate and the top of that enclosure, it's again, Exoterra 12 by 12 cube. There is about six inches or so. So not enough for the spider to climb and injure itself. If it climbs on the cork bark, it's perfectly fine. And in this case, unfortunately, it did not use the semi, well, semi-aboreal setup. It, it, I do not see it out on that piece of cork bark leaned at an angle very often. It doesn't do a lot of climbing. What it did is it adopted the spot again behind that cork bark that's leaned up against the side of the glass. It webbed up in there. It burrowed, and now it's got a burrow beneath the substrate. So it did exercise its fossorial tendencies, but there was another one that a lot of folks came forward. And these were, this wasn't just people that kept these in the hobby. These were folks in the Philippines. They're like, listen, I've seen these ones out in the wild. This is what they like. And you want to listen to folks that come from the areas they actually come from. So that's another species that I gave it a choice. The other one people mention a lot, and I've heard a lot, is the Orphanicus philippinus. With the Philippinus, I think I do think there's some confusion there with another species that might show a little bit more of that. But another instance of people that have said they've seen them in the wild a bit off the ground. And when we say a bit off the ground, we're not talking about tree spiders. We're talking about in the crooks of rocks, in stumps, a little higher up, just in bushes or brush. They're a little higher off the ground. That's that semi-aboreal thing. Yes, it's a terrestrial tarantula. Yes, if it climbs up those trees and gets too far up, it does not have the physical equipment, the physiological tools to be a true arboreal, and it could easily fall and injure or kill itself. But we're talking about ones that come off the ground a little bit. And that was the only point in that email that I was slightly differing opinion on is that there are instances of tarantulas that are in places where they are prone to flooding coming off of the ground to get away from the floods. I believe if I'm not mistaken, somebody sent me pictures of this a while back, uh, Albopelosis in Nicaraguan form is one of the ones that will actually, in times of flood, will come off the ground. I've had people tell me that they've seen their T. Albo- now, I'm not advocating that these be kept semi-aboreally or arboreally. Let me just make that very clear. But they have there have been instances in the wild where they've seen them in areas that have become flooded and they've come off the ground a little bit. Coming off the ground a few inches to a foot in nature, not a big deal. However, as the person who wrote in commented in our actual collections, 
A foot can be a deadly fall, especially for a terrestrial bodied spider. They can split their abdomen and die. So I, I get 150% where she's coming from on this. And it was one of those deals where after I went back and listened to some of the things that I had said in my videos, I wasn't as clear as I thought I was. And I that bothers me to think that people might take that run out. And again, I'd seen it myself before I did the podcast. I actually did a search for GBB in my email. I was looking for one and I found it. And if somebody sent a picture of one of those Exoterra 12 by 12 by 18 inch, 18, 16, 18, whatever, very tall enclosures. And they had set their adult GBB up in it as a full arboreal. And I, I my response was, whoa, hold on <laughs> too far. That's way too. And I kind of got into a back and forth with a guy because the guy's like, well, I read that they could be semi-arboreal. So I'm giving a semi-arboreal setup. And I was trying to explain that, no, that's an arboreal setup, which it's funny because when we talk about arboreal setups in our collection, we give them like 12 inches of height, 14 inches of height, 16 inches of height. In extreme cases, we have some enclosures set up with like 24 inches of height. Where in the wild, some of these guys, they're called tree spiders because they get up really high. They get up in crooks of trees. They're well off the ground. So she brings up another point with, you know, nature versus our collections. It's hard sometimes to recognize what is an acceptable setup for that? And what I mean is sometimes we can't replicate what's perfect in nature. And sometimes when we try to replicate what seems to be their natural environment, we end up with situations like we get with the P. muticus, where folks had heard about their five, the nine foot burrows out in the wild. So we get we get this little one inch sling and we drop it in like 10 inches of substrate and the thing buries the bottom and never comes up to the top. And we realize, unfortunately, the one thing we can't really replicate in our own collections is the fact that in the wild, they're going to run into prey under the ground. And so when we give them that room to dig, it sounds like what they do is they dig and they expect prey to come to them. It doesn't. And then you end up with people going, I don't know what happened. This thing buried itself. It was eaten. Okay. Buried itself. It molted, never came back up and it died. So there are instances where our ability to really replicate what's going on in nature. We're just not able to do it. And then we've got to change things. There's always that big discussion that, you know, how much should we look at their natural habitat when setting them up and how that can sometimes, obviously you should always be aware of their natural habitat. And she was 100% correct in showing and sending along clips and evidence of the fact of how they live in the wild. There is lots of evidence showing them like creating those little opportunistic burrows on the ground and webbing out from them awesome. That's always stuff you should look at. And she brought up another point where, and and again, this is where I believe we agree that sometimes what you create in captivity can't quite perfectly mirror what they have in the wild. And this is where the idea of, and this is something that's very important to consider. And we haven't talked about it for a while. Sometimes we think about our tarantula enclosures as these little, like if you went into the wild and we'll talk about the GBB, you went in the wild, you basically took the GBBs, a little area of the GBBs natural range, we'll call it. You stick it in a box and we create this little microhabitat that's the tarantula, a little bit of the surrounding property it would have, and the tarantula's burrow. And unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know if it's necessarily an unfortunate thing, but it's something to be considered. Sometimes what happens is it's not so much they have a burrow and some space, that entire enclosure becomes the burrow. And that's something that you referred to in the email. And that's something she's absolutely correct is when you're setting it up, you kind of have to decide, is this going to be, is this whole enclosure going to be my tarantula's burrow? I look at my GBB now, one of my old girls, and unfortunately, one of them passed away recently. She was quite old and the other one's not looking good. They're both, I got them the same time, same sack. They've been mature for many, many years and, and now they're starting to wind down. But I have two different ones. One was always more of a terrestrial one. She 
took to a burrow. She webbed around it. She created a nice little web area and never had any issues. The other one, on the other hand, always seemed to want to go up. When I would open up her enclosure, she was always on the side of it. She was the one I gave more of the quote unquote semi-arboreal enclosure by giving her the 12 by 12 cube, some place that, you know, the ramp up on. I had plants in there originally for her to web up and hide behind because I'd heard they would scrub, they basically web up underneath the, you know, the brush and things of that nature. So I gave her some plants, which she did immediately web all behind the cork bark or on the cork bark, uh, beneath the, you know, around the cork bark. And she created this nice little den and then all the plants died. So the whole thing kind of collapsed, but she's one that was really, really, really rambunctious, skittish and kicky for lack of a better term. She would kick hairs at the slightest disturbance. I'd open up that thing, cloud of hairs. When I put her in this enclosure, much more calm. So it sounds like the person who wrote in had another situation where the spider adapted to a terrestrial burrow and was much more calm. That's like my other GBB, but other folks find that they like to get up off the ground a little bit, have some room. And that semi-arboreal setup, what it does is give them a little bit of extra room, makes it so that when, if they do turn that entire thing into their quote unquote den, if they web the whole thing up, you have some room up top. So when you pull that top off or when you try to open up the front doors, if you're using one of those cubes, there's some room between you and the spider. That's what it's all about. That's usually with the semi-arboreal ones, quote-unquote semi-arboreal ones. It's all about giving them some room up top so you don't create a cramped environment where they web the whole thing up, and every time you open up that enclosure, you rip the webbing out, you disturb the spider, and you get a defensive spider, whether it be the P. Muranus, who's going to stand its ground, throw those legs up, and give you a threat posture and bite at you or whether it's a GBB who's going to bolt around trying to find a place to hide and kick a cloud of hairs at you. The idea is you're giving the tarantula more space to be comfortable. And obviously, in we have an instance here or two instances here of spiders or GBBs that adopted two burrows and stayed more terrestrially, what you'd expect. Then we have other instances. Mine, many, when I went back through the video, I actually went down through the comments. I went through some emails and a lot of folks have given them similar setups where they put them in those cubes. They give them a little space up top and they report very calm spiders. So I think the trick of it is, is we're both right. There's no right or wrong answer here for lack of a better term. If your spider is adapts to that terrestrial setup more akin to what they are, have been witnessed doing in nature and it adapts to a burrow and it webs around it and it's calm, perfect. There's no need to go up. There's no, maybe if you rehouse it, you don't need to give it that quote unquote semi-arboreal enclosure. However, if yours is not adapting to the burrow, if it's webbing up, if it's sitting on top of the webbing off the ground a bit, if it freaks out every time you open it, then that's a spider that might benefit from a little more height. And that's where you get the quote unquote semi, I keep doing the quote unquote, and probably play a little drinking game on that one. The semi-arboreal setup that gives it more room up top. I think the trick for this is flexibility and giving it the opportunity to choose what it wants to do. And this is where I think maybe... A true semi-arboreal setup is not the thing for them. The trick is to give them that choice. Give them the traditional terrestrial hide on the ground with a little starter burrow. It, it, obviously, with GBBs, the other thing you can play around with is to give them some stuff to web to, so sticks, fake plants work great. What they'll sometimes do is you put enough fake plants in there, it creates a little hide behind the fake plants, they'll web up right from them, and you'll have your terrestrial behavior. But if it wants to go up a little bit, then what you'll happen is it'll, it'll basically web right over top of those plants like mine did. I had two plants in there, a snake plant and some other 
type of, I forget what it was, darn it, but it webbed over, it killed them all because it just basically covered them with web, festooned with webbing. And it created like this little big top type thing where it'd sit right on top of the webbing and it was happy as could be. I dropped crickets in, would calmly hunt the crickets. It was great. So I think what I will have to do, it, revisiting this, and I think the listener here is 100% correct that there needs to be nuance. I'm going to have to go and revisit this in a husbandry video and probably attach it to the end of the other one. So like, what is semi-arboreal? Maybe I can do a video featuring how I would set up a semi-arboreal enclosure. Explain that for an adult 12 by 12 cube, some slanted substrate, some place for it to hide on the ground if it wants to do the terrestrial thing, something going you know a little bit up at an angle to give it a little space to get off the ground if it wants to, but it also gives it another terrestrial burrow behind it, putting in some fake plants there so that it can also web either over or around those. I don't know. Maybe we even need to come up with some type of new term over semi. I think the problem is I hear semi arboreal. It just means like partially arboreal in my mind, but maybe we need hybrid setup, something that just or another word like a terrestrial plus setup where we, it's a terrestrial plus more some space above the top. I, I don't know, but I do agree that. And again, this is one of the ones I read the email at first. I'm like, we totally agree. I read the email again. I'm like, we totally agree. And then I went back through and I'm like, okay, I see what's going on. I see exactly what she's saying here. And then I went back again and revisited my own stuff and was like, yep, I can see exactly where the confusion comes from. So I think the long and short of it is I do need to be a little more clear with that kind of stuff. I, I'm not sure what Richard did. I thought he showed it in the video and showed the setups for it, but maybe he didn't. But I do agree that if there's any point that I can be more clear on something, I, then I definitely need to do so. And this is one I definitely feel like, I mean, again, that GBV video I did quite a while ago. I think it was just, it might've been just after or just before I set one of my female adults up in the semi-arboreal setup. And I, so I didn't have any pictures of it or anything. I think the first time I did it was one with the bioactive enclosure. And folks that didn't see that bioactive enclosure one might just hear arboreal, set up arboreal. So definitely think there's some clarification. I think we agree that they can be set up this way. Again, I was kind of hoping for a back and forth. I thought the main idea behind it is that we need to be more clear with what a semi-arboreal setup looks like. It doesn't mean arboreal, that there has to be care taken, that it isn't given too much height, that it isn't given an enclosure with a lot of height and technically a lot of hazards that it could fall on and hurt itself on. I think that's where we're going. If this individual hears this and emails back and finds my email, which I'm guessing went into the bulk, or maybe she just figured I was going to cover it in the podcast and she'd wait to hear it out. If you want to respond back and clarify, that'd be great. But I think I don't think it was so much an argument against there being setups that could allow a little height for certain species. I think it was more of the fact of explaining what that entails. And 100% on board with that. We'll definitely get on. I do have, I'm going to have to get another Exoterra enclosure because my other one's already earmarked for something. I'm going to have a spider in it soon and it's not going to be a semi-arboreal setup, but I do want to set one up and show people what it's like. For the record, as far as the slings, I haven't seen it for slings. I do give them a little extra height. So instead of your, like, for example, your 16-ounce deli cup, I have these 20-ounce deli cups that offer just a bit more height, but they're definitely much more shallow than the 32-ounce ones. Those would be ideal with a little substrate, a little hide, some opportunities for it to hide and create a burrow under some cork bark, maybe some anchor points, some plants, and that would give it an ability to web that thing up because they do, they will web the snot out of it. I and mean, you take a little, you know, three quarter inch sling. Once it hits that inch and a half mark, it's going to web up the whole inside of that thing. That will give you some room up top for juveniles. I like to use something again that gives it a little height. A critter keeper would work. I use those. They're about eight by eight by nine inch tall. 
they're meant to keep like flour and cereal and stuff in. But if you put enough substrate in those, it, there's no risk of fall damage and it gives you a little room up top. Again, it's all about giving them a, an alternative, give them some spots to hide on the ground, give them some stuff to anchor to. They will probably fill that whole thing up again. It's that idea that that whole enclosure becomes its burrow. I think that's the, in some of these setups, these semi-arboreal setups, that's kind of what happens. Mine, that whole enclosure is its burrow. It doesn't have a lot of real estate. When I open that enclosure, I'm opening the top of its burrow, although it's still very, very calm. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And then adults, I love the 12 by 12 by 12 exoterra cubes. There are other things, just as long as you don't overdo it with the height. There are other tanks out there. You don't want a huge gap between the substrate and the top, but six, seven inches is it's fine. They're not going to fall and hurt themselves at that height. And then if you give them some stuff to web to, some stuff to web behind, they'll be just fine. So hopefully that helps clarify to get a, a bit. Thank you so much for the email. I think that it was an excellent, very insightful, very articulate description of a possible issue. And obviously this individual is, and, and this can't be understated, I see a lot of stuff just from emails and my comments. I can't imagine being a moderator on the board because I do or on a Facebook group because I've seen, I do lurk on some Facebook groups and I've seen the questions that come out and how many times I'm left just pulling my hair out like, oh my gosh. And that's got to be very frustrating to see people repeatedly set an animal up wrong and be able to identify they got the idea from this. And if it's one of my videos, I don't want to be the cause of that. I don't want to add, you know, work for other people. You've got enough going on trying to moderate the board without trying to, you know, clarify for me when I should have probably clarified for myself. So awesome email. Great. Thing. Hopefully I hear back from you. And, and, and again, if you want, I will absolutely say your name and the name of the Facebook group on the next podcast. And, you know, maybe you'll have a, a response back. Hopefully I covered it and hopefully people got where I was going with this and feel free to, and this would be great to talk about, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. This would be a good one for folks to chime in if they do have some of these setups or if there are some species, they've given them a little room up top. We'll call it the terrestrial plus setups. We'll get rid of semi-arboreal for a bit. But if you have one of those setups, post some pictures of some people can get an idea from it because that would be great moving ahead for folks to see what those setups look like, to see that we're not talking about a full arboreal setup. We're just giving them a little extra room up top, maybe a little room to perch up off the ground if they like that. There are some spiders. I've even had some regular terrestrials that seem to like to be off the ground a bit to hunt. I've had a couple kooks that will hide on right on the, they'll sit right on the side of the enclosure and pounce down on stuff. So giving them a little extra space as long as they can't hurt themselves is fine. But thank you very much to the listener who provided us with this wonderful topic and email. Hope to hear back from you. And again, let me know. We'll make sure we say your name in the next one. That will do it for this one. Again, uh, thanks to everyone I saw at the Show Me Reptiles convention. Kelly, awesome meeting you. Caleb, awesome meeting you. And gentlemen with the <laughs> H. Gigas, awesome meeting you as well. We'll definitely do that again in July. And maybe I'll actually put it out there this time that I'll be there so I can see some folks and chit-chat a bit about spiders. That'll do it for this one. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. Not much cooking on YouTube. Today I had a sick kid all weekend, so I didn't really get a lot done. So I'll probably post a video next week, and it might involve the geniculata. Geniculata, we'll have to see. So that'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.